What's up, everybody? We weren't sure who was going to do the intro. I will. Uh, today, we are going deep into the benefits of nutrition supplementation when they're the right thing to do, and also uh, the benefits of intermittent fasting and how the how, the why, the what. We're going deep. We're going deep in nutrition right now. What's up, everyone? My name's Rad Burmeister. I'm joined today by my brother, Yanni Burmeister, and we are the co-founders and co-creators of Unity Gym and the UMS, Unify Movement System, where we turn driven people into superhumans. And the way we get such astonishing results with our members is that we've created a fantastic program that has a balance between strength, flexibility, and cardio fitness. We teach an amazing path following the health hierarchy of needs towards movement mastery. If you want to know how we do it, you can grab one of our free blueprints the flexibility blueprint, the strength blueprint, and the nutrition blueprint. They'll tell you uh, the 10 key lessons that we've learned uh, that help us to create uh, these astonishing movers. And also, you want to jump over and join our Facebook group, the UMS Movement Mastermind. Now, we're going through, we're doing this series where because Yanni and I just created the health hierarchy of needs, basically a health version of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, and it goes in order. Maslow identified that there was... Uh, you know, certain things as a human being that needed to be met before you could move on to the to the next thing. If you want to know more about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, just Google it. But with the health hierarchy of needs, we identified the same thing for health. We identified that the first thing that has to come is motivation. You need to turn your spark, which is a goal, uh, into a burning desire before you can move on to the next step, which is the daily habit of movement. Then you can move on to nutrition. Then we move into physique, creating an optimal physique for performance. And then we move finally finally into mastery. And um, we actually went through nutrition last week, but we've had some really good questions in our UMS online coaching group about nutrition um, that inspired Yanni to want to go a little bit deeper into nutrition because in all honesty, it is, it's one of those points where we don't want to skip over it. So many people get this wrong and that's why we're talking about it today. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a couple. We've got uh, I can't actually find the one from Clay. Is that? I've in, got it. Is it I've in got the it right here. It's in the online UMS coaching. online coaching okay, group. I'll tag you. Another one here from, from Vinnie Brown. Well, I'll, I'll, in the uh, movement mastermind uh, question as well, which is there's a lot of there's a lot of insight that we can give in both of these questions. So, I'll, I'll um we'll do, we'll jump onto the movement. I just tagged you. If you yep. refresh, you should have a notification with a tag on uh, it. I'm pretty sure I can find it. Okay. Anyway, I've got it here. So here I'll read go. it out. I got it. Yep. So Clay has asked uh, some questions that are that a bunch of people have said, you know, um, great questions. Uh, I'd love to know the answer here. And Yanni's answered, but we'll we'll go deeper into it ourselves here. And I'm going to try and get a few words in here because I can tell you right now, Yanni's going to be talking about this until the cows <laughs> come home. So I'll try and give no, my we'll two cents. We'll have a discussion. And then, and then we'll I'll have, sit we'll have a discussion. <clears throat> okay. So questions for Rad and Yanni, Clay says. Um, I'll tell you now, most of these questions are for Yanni, but anyway. <laughs> so first question is, Clay says, how much L-glutamine should I take per day and when should I take it? Second point, uh, Rad, since you don't begin training until 11 a.m., does that mean you train you in the morning? don't begin eating until 11 a.m. Oh, sorry, don't begin eating until 11 a.m. Does that mean that you train in the morning before you eat? Uh, third question, Rad, you mentioned you drink black coffee in the morning before your feeding window starts. I drink black tea. 
Other than coffee, tea and water, is there anything you put in your system before feeding the feeding window begins? Are there any supplements that would be good to take on an empty stomach before I start eating? And then Yani, regarding casein protein, many will say it's good to drink in the evening because it's a slow digesting protein which releases into your system while you sleep. This is said to be beneficial since muscle repair is done while sleeping. What are your thoughts on this? Would the slow release protein actually just be taking hours away from my fasting window or would it be of greater benefit uh, to make my last protein shake of the day casein? Thanks a lot, guys. I'm going to really quickly answer the two ones that are directed at me and you can chime in on them. And then because those those other two ones, the glutamine one and the casein protein one, I, I know that Yanni's going to have a lot more to talk about there. <coughs> so first thing I'll say, Clay, is... Um, I'm going to answer the anything, any other nutritional supplements besides black coffee or anything in the morning. Pretty much any supplement that you take is going to ruin your fast. So if you are fasting, you don't have supplements. I'll rephrase that. Every supplement. Okay, so every supplement. Um, basically, if if your body has to digest it, then it it, it causes a, the the pancreas at some level to um, release insulin into the blood system, and that's really what ruins the fast, isn't it? Not just that. It's a, it's it's more about the gut. Um the digestive enzymes. Yeah, the digestive enzymes waking up. And I'll the, go the, deeper into The one thing that I have started doing, and this is after I had a, a conversation with our friend Ben Pakulski last time he was here. And, um, you know, that dude is a, he's a walking, um, you know, powerhouse of knowledge. And I was talking to him about my goals and what I do and everything. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. The only thing that I'd do that you're not doing is um, I'd probably have a little bit of salt first thing in the morning um, in your water because your body can become a little bit depleted in sodium um, during the fast. I haven't read any of that, but if Ben told me, that's good enough for me because that dude reads so much that I don't read and he also interviews a hell of a lot of people that we don't interview. So what I do now is the only thing that I do, Clay, uh, in the morning, first thing in the morning is I just grab a pinch of the rock salt, you know, not the iodized table salt, the rock salt or the Himalayan salt or whatever it is, you know, your high quality salt uh, and put it in my water and I just have a big glass of water. Yep. Uh, that's it. But beyond that, what Yanni said is right. That's a pretty simple answer to that. Any supplements you take are going to ruin your fast. Yeah, that's right. So and if you... Sorry, go on. Go no, on. if you are fasting, if that's what you're choosing to do, um, yeah, nothing. But... Yep black coffee, black tea, water with a little bit of salt in it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to try and avoid going too far down the scientific rabbit hole on the co the co like the fasting pathway and things like that. But what you've got to understand, guys, is that fasting is about metabolism and it's about the body's metabolic systems and processes having a break off, which has been shown to be very, very important. The other thing that goes with fasting is that the timing of the consumption of um, what anything that's referred to as a xenobiotic, which is a, a, a chemical not produced in the body naturally, is going to break a fast. And the timing that we that we consume these things seems to be very, very important to our overall health, uh, because. Um, the, the, the most simple way I can explain it is that human beings are diurnal creatures naturally. That means that we are n the opposite to nocturnal. We are diurnal. We're awake during the day. Our bodies are awake during the day. And the way that they can prove that is that we are geared, uh, unlike a nocturnal animal, there are special proteins in the retina of our eyes that react to blue light, to um, um, the uh, light that comes 
mostly from the sun, but now from most LED lights and lights that we have inside as well, our computer screens, things like that. The moment those lights pass through the retina of the eye, they react um, with these special proteins that are in that are in diurnal creatures' eyes, and uh, and that switches everything on. Um, that's the, the most natural way that we switch on all of these metabolic processes. There's, there's one other way that we can do it too, which is that we can consume a xenobiotic, uh, a chemical compound that is not produced naturally in the body that requires s special enzymes to break down and digest and metabolize. And they come from most of our foods. They definitely come from black coffee or tea. Uh, uh, caffeine is a xenobiotic. We, don't, we do not produce it naturally in the body. Um, and that may be, and I'm not, remember, I'm not a nutrition scientist. I just read a lot. Uh, that, I that may be why, uh, Rad's been told that we can have salt because salt is something that we do, I think, produce naturally in the body. Well, uh, salt, it's, all, it's also, I mean, depends on where you get your water from, um, yeah. will contain salt. Salt, that's right. In it. And yep. I'm pretty yep. sure that's the idea. It's yep. the idea that when you have tap water or filtered water, yep. there isn't any salt in it. Yep. Um, and it naturally occurs in spring water. Yep. So there is you, uh, everything I say, guys, there is a limit to my knowledge as well, just like anyone else. Any, in fact, anyone who tells you that there's not a limit to their knowledge, I wouldn't listen to them because they're full of shit. Um, so if, and also like it, to my understanding, like if you, if you had a cup of water that did have that naturally occurring salt that I'm adding to it and you drank it, I don't think that that stimulates digestive enzymes. I think that that no, is just absorbed straight yeah, into the body. That's exactly right. So yeah. I'm yeah. pretty you sure You can that's have what water. It is. I mean, there are water, um, water fasts as well, uh, which like really, really um, exercise the system, you know. But there are all these different elements, and we may as well stay on fasting on the fasting question because we're here now. There are many different elements to a fast that, which are reasons, all really valid reasons why we use them. And for me personally, one of the most uh, important reason to include fasting in one's regime is for the mental um, aspect of it, for the cognitive restraint aspect of it. There are two elements to a successful diet that must be adhered to, that must be included in the regime. And this has been studied very extensively. And it's the reason why Weight Watchers comes back as the most successful diet that people adhere to and get results on over any other diet that's, that's, um, that, that's uh, been studied with um, um, uh, what do you call it? Oh God, I've forgotten the word where they analyze other research, uh, a, a collection of research. Fuck, I've forgotten the word anyway. Um, and that is that you mu the diet or the regime must include some sort of element of practicing like intent <coughs> to practice daily cognitive restraint and uh, Weight Watchers do that with their point system. You know, once you hit your points for the day, you cannot eat and that forces you to practice some form of daily cognitive restraint. And they also, you also must uh, track and monitor calories or macronutrients and Weight Watchers do that again with their point system. Um, so... 
it's, uh, you know, and I'm not saying that we like Weight Watchers. We, I don't because quite frankly, I think the, f the food that they eat is terrible. Um, it's highly processed in most cases, but, but... It's not just that. It doesn't really teach people to really take to accountability. To and to prepare food, which is an element. It's a long-term solution. It's like That's a, exactly right. Yeah, you know, you have to live in this box of where you eat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the literature will state that it is generally the most successful nutrition plan. And, and I mean, that's for the... For the it's on, it's on the record. But when they look at why and they look at other diets that are successful, these two elements must be adhered to. So the reason why we love or I personally love um, time-restricted eating and intermittent fasting is, and we talk about this a lot as it untethers you from food, it's, it's brutally difficult in, in, initially. Um, but if you can exercise that cognitive restraint and you can really get into a rhythm with it and you get past that initial couple of weeks or maybe month or maybe even three months of doing it, it becomes really quite easy. It becomes second nature. And I, f I for one, have found it extremely empowering and I've watched what it's done to my clients and my family. Kalisha does it too. And, um, and your brother. And, and Rad, you know, it, and it is very, very powerful because you do become completely untethered to <coughs> food, you know, and I spent a decade as a, uh, a, a, you know, an, uh, I guess a very um, amateurist bodybuilder trying to gain mass, muscle mass, and I ate on this like clock of six meals a day, spread out every two hours. And, um, and I thought that was the only way you could put on weight, you know, and uh, I, I tell you now, in the years that I've been intermittent fasting, when I've trained, really dialed in my training, I've had I've been as successful at putting on weight. Uh, I just recently got to 90, 92 kilos and I was practicing the most significant fasting regimes I've ever done where I do a lot of 24 hour fasts or 18 hour fasts every day, uh, every other day. And, um, like today I'll do a 24 hour fast. I haven't exercised for two weeks cause I've been very sick, um, uh, with my eye. And then I picked something up when I was in the hospital. It's not coronavirus. I've been tested. Um, but, um, yeah, it, you know, I think the concept, is it as, is it as effective for putting on muscle mass? No, it's not. It's, it's certainly not because, um, you know, part of bodybuilding is consuming as many calories as possible, but we do know that that is phenomenally unhealthy. It's terribly unhealthy. Consuming calories, are is, is something that ages your body, you know, um, and so we need to, yeah, you need to weigh it up. Like, what is your goal and, and, and that? Um, well, the, I mean, so, just sorry, just let me wrap this up. So the, 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 the purposes of us, um, um, I guess, intermittent fasting on a personal level are that there is many aspects. We are um, certainly prioritizing longevity. We're certainly trying to repair damage that's been done to our bodies in the past. And the psychological and the emotional um, uh, consideration is that it, it really helps you overcome food cravings. It helps you untether yourself from food. It, it really strengthens your ability to make decisions throughout the day that are more in align with your physical goals and your performance. Uh, because if you're a slave to food and if you think I've got to eat all the time, then the, the physique um, step, which is the fourth 
level of or the fourth phase of the uh, health hierarchy will be near impossible for you to ever dial in. You just will not be able to dial in a really healthy, lean, functional, efficient physique if you are not untethered from food. If you still feel like you have to eat every few hours, you are going to come up against um, negative food choices constantly. Whenever you're out of your perfect routine or rhythm and you don't have the choice to eat what you'd usually eat, you will choose to eat some shit food. And that's going to take you back a step with systemic inflammation. It's going to take you back a step with your gut microbiome. And it's certainly going to hinder your physique. Well, it's not just that either. It's about being able to compensate for the bad choices that you make. Because I remember one of the very first things that I learned about calories when we, you know, started going to all these, you know, nutrition talks that we've gone to over the last two decades um, was that the amount of calories that you consume in a 24-hour period is insignificant compared to the calories that you consume in a seven-day period and even in a 28-day period. The research shows that you can absolutely make up for the calories that you consumed last week by eating less this week and stay at a healthy um, you know, body composition, which means that if you are you know, untethered from food, if you just like what you described then and what we've achieved, you can have a blowout on a weekend and say, well, I'm dialing it back this week yeah. and just dramatically reduce the amount of calories that you eat this week and your body won't put weight on. But the problem is where so many people are going wrong is they have these blowouts, but then the next week it's business as usual. Yeah. The next week it's still, I need to yeah, eat every is, three hours. This is you the know? exact reason why I started doing <coughs> a 24 hour fast every Monday, mm. because I just really like to relax on the weekends. On the weekends and sometimes yeah. that means if I'm drinking alcohol, that'll mean that I could drink a bottle of red wine on over, over the weekend, which is, you know, an additional 800 calories, um, or so I, I'm not hundred percent sure. Don't fact check me on that. Uh, you know, and that, yeah, that it can, it can be enough to blow it out for you, you know, and, and I can certainly eat uh, a little bit of, like we have a bit of a, hab, um, uh, a ritual at home where on Saturday night I cook up some homemade healthier-esque um, uh, pizzas for the kids, you know. Uh, we use like a whole, uh, we make a wholemeal thin base, and but it's got, you know, melted cheese on it and uh and stuff like that and you know it's it's not a healthy meal it's it's a it's a a lesser of uh two evils because it's not highly processed food we make it ourselves but it's certainly not what i would consider a healthy meal and i will have like a whole pizza to myself on saturday night um and from time to time we go out and we have burgers or something on the weekend and i'll easily consume three and a half thousand calories in one sitting you know Mm. And so, yeah, if I wasn't doing that fast on Monday, um, I would probably be over time, over a period of six months, I would start to gain body fat, you know? Yep. And um, yeah, so there's, there's lots of reasons why intermittent fasting is, I believe, a really great way of doing things. The other thing is, and the more the research seems to stack up on this, Human beings are much like any other animal. Our digestive systems operate much like any other animal. And we were, you know, for tens of thousands of years, not eating 
e constantly. Like we're not designed, no animal is designed to have a constant stream of food passing through the body. Well, that's not true. Cows and uh, okay, herbivores yeah. like that, but are, they but have got two three, or th three stomachs, stomachs you know? to digest it. That's what that's, they're designed yeah, for. They, that, don't, they don't have a fast, short digestive, digestive tract like what yeah, we do. Yeah, and, and <clears throat> this is the thing, like it, I believe, and there's a lot of science to back this now, that you are really better off eating in waves, in cycles, yeah. you know, where you don't eat huge amounts every single day. Uh, I mean, the science behind this is compelling, guys. Uh, it's it's so compelling that the 2016, 2017, it's either 15, 16 or 16, 17 Nobel Prize for Health and Medicine was awarded to people in this space. Now, that's a big deal. That's a big freaking deal. To win a Nobel Prize in science is huge. And twice in a row and that's the third nobel prize awarded to uh um uh research on circadian rhythm circadian health and uh time restricted eating you know it's a big 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 deal and it's sh we should be looking at it we should be going okay this is something that we need to start looking at why is it that um that health markers change so radically for the benefit for the positive when we restrict food calories from going into the body for the period of the evening. Mm. Um, and, it, and it is remarkable what happens in the body when, when you do that. Mm -hmm. So this ties into um, the final s section of Clay's question on, on casein protein. And I'm pretty sure anyone with half a brain who's been listening will be able to put one and one together now and, and d determine that I am strictly against taking something that is designed to be released into your digestive and metabolic systems while you sleep mm. because it completely negates from the concept or the uh, fasting pathway. Mm. So to answer your question really simply, Clay, casein protein is a terrible idea and uh, something that I would like absolutely not do. Now, the only time that I would ever go against that is if I'm coaching someone who is a bodybuilder. And they, their goal is 150 million percent to pack on as much lean muscle as humanly possible, and they don't give a shit about their health. Bodybuilding is not healthy. It's, it's mm -hmm. inherently unhealthy. So separate those two from one another. But so is many sports and athletes. Athletes mm. sacrifice health for performance, you know. And so you need to ask yourself that question. If you're a bodybuilder and you don't care about your health and you don't care if you die young, then you, uh, you know, and, and many bodybuilders do, you know, whether it's through psychological reasons or health related reasons, they, yeah, it's not healthy, you know? So you just have to, and, and many bodybuilders that I know that reach a high level, they spend the second half of their life trying to regain their health. You know, so it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's something that you, you will tend to sacrifice a little bit of health for if you do it at the highest level. So make that decision. If you're not a bodybuilder, I wouldn't recommend casein protein. You don't need it. Yep. Um, so Clay, your second question is, uh, Rad, since you don't begin eating until 11 a.m., does that mean that you train in the morning before you eat? Uh, I should clarify, I don't usually begin eating until about 12.30 p.m. Um, because I train until about that time. Uh, we have been at the moment, but when the gym reopens and we'll have classes on it, that'll probably be about 12 or something like that. Um, yes, absolutely. I train uh, in the morning before I eat. and on so an many On an empty stomach. And uh, a lot of people say, oh, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't train before I eat. 
bullshit. Yeah, this is part of that bullshit. whole concept of untethering you yourself from food. Yeah, you I know. mean, if you think that the human body is designed in a way where we can't perform physically unless we've just eaten within how the, the last 12 hours. You, how the hell do you think we survived and rose to the top of the food chain? Like we can perform optimally without eating for days. Yeah. You know, our body is designed this way. We store energy in our fat cells. And if there's not enough fat there, then our body miraculously pulls some from the muscle tissue, you know? Like there's, there's so much that we've got in our body to keep us going. So this idea of thinking, I can't train on an empty stomach, you don't even, you don't even know what a good training session yeah. is until you've And understood. I'll actually go one step further and say you should be training on an empty stomach yeah. from time to time uh -huh. because it's what Rad just, just talked about, about the body. The, your body is literally a pharmacy. It's like, it's like a, f uh, a factory of uh, drugstore all in one. Mm. It produces almost everything it needs with very little influence from the outside world. Mm -hmm. And you... Uh, like phenomenally um, uh, capable of producing everything you need to get through a workout. Um, and it, it, it's actually a really, really healthy thing to do. It's referred to as metabolic flexibility to be able to switch between different energy um, sources, um, glycogen or fat, and, um, and do that readily. And what happens over time is if you've become glycogen dependent, if you've been raised on wheat bix and white bread and, uh, and, and hamburgers for dinner, then you, what happens is you become very unmetabolically flexible. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people struggle to click into that fat metabolizing zone and burn fat and you have to retrain your body. So, you know, a lot of overweight people get really upset and fed up with exercise when they start exercising and after three months, they've hardly lost any weight. And they're, they're like, oh, this is so frustrating. Like my friend so-and-so can put on eight kilos and lose it in three months, you know. It's because that person is really metabolically flexible mm -hmm. and they've practiced, their body's been, been put in a state where it's able to switch in and out of different uh, metabolic substrates and, 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 and energy uh, fuel sources often. So mm -hmm. it remains metabolically flexible. And this is something that you should be training. You mm -hmm. should be training on a regular basis, meaning that, you know, some of the um, top nutritionists that I've spoken to suggest that you undulate between high fat periods and high carbohydrate periods. And that's a really healthy thing to do. But you, during the high fat period, you, you literally eliminate carbohydrate from your diet. You know, like yesterday, if you had a watched, uh, if you're friends with me on Facebook, my kids only ate fat and protein yesterday. There was we didn't allow any carbohydrate yesterday whatsoever in the diet. And we do that on purpose. We give them days of high carbs. We give them days of high fat. And uh, just, like I, just like I eat, and we undulate through these um, uh, periods where their little bodies are forced to remain really metabolically flexible. And it's, it's so important that we're doing that. And so, yeah, so... One of the best things that you can do to test all those systems is to train on an empty stomach and do it regularly because your body's forced to then scavenge and, you know, really amazing physiological things occur like um, converting muscle tissue to uh, to energy, to, to glycogen, you know, it, it'll start taking proteins out of the muscles and converting them to glycogen, which, you know, it's not that bad a thing because you're going to eat immediately straight away and you're going to rebuild those, those things as well, you know, which 
stems into the the part on uh, glutamine. Should we answer that? Well, that's the last question, and we're out of time. So okay, cool. Let's get into so, it. So, uh, glutamine. Here's the thing, and I'm going to be really, really controversial here. Supplements can be a huge waste of money. A huge waste of money. Nutrition supplements are, in most cases, the 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 effect they have on the human body is so minuscule. For the and and in comparison to the amount of money that you pay for them. Uh, it is highly recommended that you don't go down the rabbit hole of taking nutrition supplementation unless you're doing everything else perfectly. Everything. Diet is dialed in in a way that you have zero systemic inflammation, in a way that your gut microbiome is really well balanced, in a way that you're maximizing muscle protein synthesis. So you're getting, you're building all your meals around dietary protein, highly bioavailable dietary protein, because dietary protein is not all created equal and the body metabolizes it um, easily or uh, less, uh, less easy. Um, and so if you've got all of those things in, in place uh, and, and you've got lo loads of disposable income and you don't care about throwing a bit of money down the drain, then yes, dive into nutrition supplements, you know. But for the 0.01% improvements in most cases, it's not worth it. With the exception of maybe two or three things. Uh, creatine monohydrate is proven like you, up anywhere from five to fifteen percent improvements in strength and uh, recovery um, during a workout, which is certainly worth the money that you'll spend because it's not an expensive supplement. That you can buy a huge one kilo bag of creatine monohydrate for about forty or fifty dollars, mm -hmm. uh, Australian. <coughs> and some form of uh, protein supplement. Now, whey protein is. Um, proven to be far superior to anything else for muscle, uh, building. For muscle building. Yeah. And so um, that's what most people recommend. But for Rad and I, we're more on the, you know, how does the, um, how does our body um, handle dairy? And me personally, I can see that my body doesn't like dairy because I break out in pimples the moment I start eating dairy. Uh, I get literally like pimples all over my head, my face, my back. It's, and, and I've always been like that. And I reckon I'd be getting inflammation from it as well, you know. So I don't have whey protein at all. Um, I have a um, collagen. a collagen protein, and we we fortify that with the branch chain amino acids that we're not getting that are, are, are more abundant in the whey protein, particularly leucine. Um, glutamine is something that. I only recommend people consider if they're exercising to a very high intensity regularly. Glutamine is a uh, amino acid that is produced in the body in and of itself. But when you exercise really, really heavily, it, uh, intensely, it can become depleted quite quickly. And it... Um, when it's depleted, we tend to uh, can, we tend to break down muscle tissue much quicker, and that's why I say if you're you know if you're training on an empty stomach, for instance, then taking in some glutamine straight after or in your when you break your fast is um, has been shown to be really beneficial for you because it's going to minimise the amount that you break down that muscle tissue. Uh, being having an abundance of glutamine in the system in the digestive system is going to be uh, uh, probably beneficial for someone who uh, is intermittent fasting a lot. The other, the other um, uh, place where um, 
Uh, and let me make it absolutely clear, you know, L-glutamine is marketed as a supplement that stops muscle tissue from being broken down. It only helps in a depleted person. So it's been shown to be very beneficial for like cancer patients, pa patients that are on chemotherapy in hospitals, they, they often will supplement it there. And uh, that's why I, can, I take it because I fast a lot. And so there are periods of time when I'm exercising, when I'm, I'm putting high demand on my body, when my body is depleted of nutrients and trace minerals and uh, proteins and things like that. And so I like to keep my glutamine um, uh, stores very high, you know. RAD's probably the same. Anyone who's experimenting with intermittent fasting, they might want to look down the, um, uh, the path of uh, supplementing glutamine. Where glutamine has also been shown to be really beneficial is that what it does is it fortifies the, um, uh, the lining of your gut and that has been shown to help um, uh, minimize food cravings. So if you're someone who's really trying to restore gut health, you've had a really uh, a poorly balanced gut microbiome for a long time, you might be just starting intermittent fasting and you're going to go through that really pretty intense transition period where you're starving off the gut bacteria that has been thriving and flourishing because of your shitty diet, then glutamine is probably going to help you a little bit, you know. Um, that's the, the background around glutamine. I hope that answers the question. Does that answer the question? Sure does. Uh, was there anything else there that we, no, the, the last it. thing that I wanted to really quickly tip on before we go is Vinnie Brown's question here in the movement mastermind, uh, on June 1st nutrition question. I'll build some context in trying to gain overall strength. It's been mentioned many times that gaining muscle mass should not be considered an extra or a nice to have rather it's essential in the gain for strength. My goal for desire, um, for desiring more strength is to gain improvements in flexibility. So the question is how much protein should be in a good diet and what are some of the best sources, natural and supplements? There's a lot to unpack in this question. So any insight towards any parts of it would be appreciated. Okay. So the general rule for Vinnie Brown, and we talk about this a lot in our nutrition protocol, is 0.4 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight, total weight, uh, per serving. And what that equates to is um, for an average person around about, tw 25, to about 25 to 35 grams of protein. And that is, um, you need to punch that into a website like calorieking.com or calorieking.com.au if you're in Australia. And you'll see that it really varies quite gr uh, widely in, in the protein source, whether you're having like legumes or meat, uh, that sort of thing. And uh, uh, of course, as I said before, not every protein is created equal when you look at branch chain amino acids and the amino acid profile. With meat, it's usually around 120 to 140 grams per serve is roughly about 30 grams of protein. Um, and so then you sort of say, well, if I'm intermittent fasting and I'm or, or time restricted eating for 12 to 16 hours, it only gives you a, small, a much smaller window of opportunity to get that dietary protein in. Here's the thing uh, that throws a real spanner in the works. I know that Vinny is, uh, I think he's above 50 years old of age. Uh, I can't remember your exact age, Vinny, if you're watching this, um, but I'm fairly certain I recall seeing you say uh, your age before and it was above 50. 
For children under 18 and for adults above 50 years old, you have to basically double the protein requirement. The reason for children under 18 is that they metabolize much more protein. They can put it to good use and they're bo- because their bodies are growing at such an alarming rate at that, in that period of their life. Um, f- the opposite is um, true for adults above 50. You're metabolizing the protein much slower. Your digestive system is much less efficient than a child or even someone at middle age with a healthy, robust digestive system. And so therefore, to cap out your muscle protein synthesis to fill the tank up and maximize muscle protein synthesis, you actually need to give your body a lot more dietary protein. So it's not, uh, I'm not suggesting that you don't intermittent fast because quite frankly, at the older you get, the more prevalent and, and important the, the upregulation of cellular autophagy occurs because it starts to, to essentially fail. The systems start to fail. And um, the absence of cellular autophagy is linked to all diseases, so especially degenerative diseases. So uh, cellular autophagy is something that you certainly want to be prioritizing after the age of 50. But you've got to double your protein. So if you're only having protein four or five times a day to get it into that eight or 10 or 12 hour window, uh, then you um, you want to be having uh, 0.8 grams of protein per serve, which is going to be 250 grams of meat for the average person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that for someone above the age of 50, you certainly should be doing a 12-12 time-restricted eating regime or a 10 um, what is it? 10, 14. 10, 14. Uh, 10, 14. So 14 hours of zero um, uh, xenobiotics through the body uh, and then uh, 10 hours where you consume your food and then you can get five really healthy doses of dietary protein. Uh, you are right that you sh- everybody, in my opinion, sh- and Rad's opinion and probably Richard's opinion, should be prioritizing muscle protein synthesis always. It is so important. You have a very small window of opportunity from about the age of uh, 17 to 27 for men and uh, a bit less for women to, mac- to, um, to maximize the amount of muscle that you have in your body, skeletal muscle. After the age of around 27 to 30, yeah, it becomes uh, increasingly difficult to maintain uh, and gain muscle tissue. So everybody should be prioritizing it uh, through that window and and onwards because you want to try and maintain it as much as possible yeah for sure that's it guys uh that's a deep dive into nutrition supplements and intermittent fasting why we uh uh recommend that you definitely do do um do it and um yeah i know rad didn't want me to talk for the entire show (laughs) but uh lucky i got a couple of words in. you got a couple of words in thanks for tuning in everyone we'll see you tomorrow for tuesday's workout good questions too Yeah. See you, everyone. Health is about performance, not just body image. You better be willing to accept what you're going to have to do to get there. We'll start focusing on movement goals, strength goals, flexibility goals. When you nail that skill, it's there forever. The body image goal doesn't get you that far. It's the consistency and frequency that's going to get you there. It's not the intensity. There's no shortcuts to mastery and movement. Destination doesn't change overnight, but your direction will. The gym is not the place to beat up the body that you hate. It's the place to build the body that you love. We are the gym that teaches people how to move instead of just exercise because we believe that health is about performance, not just body image.
We are the gym that teaches people how to move instead of just exercise because we believe that health is about performance, not just body image.